Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. This summer, we will be having services on Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, and 11.15 a.m. We are located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Beacon. If we haven't met before, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I've been gone the last couple of weeks. A couple of weeks ago, I was on vacation. Last week, I was out kind of on a special project. But I'm back. So the good news is I am back. The bad news is all of the other pastors are now gone. So we don't yet have a quorum. So it's just us. So welcome to Fireside Chat with Chris Day. I'm glad that you're here. Um, we can uh, say anything we want because no one else is here, which is great. God, as we look now to the study of your scripture, I pray that its words would be illuminated, that they would jump off the page. We would see your truth that you have for our lives and you would guide us in how we can grow into becoming the men and women that you've called us to be. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Rabbit with a waistcoat and a watch. Oh, my fearing whiskies. A maid, a maid, a maid. Now, this is curious. What could a rabbit possibly be late for? Please, sir. I'm late. I'm late. For a very important date. No time to say hello. Goodbye. I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. It must be awfully important. Like a party or something. Mr. Rabbit, wait. No, 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 no. I'm overdue. I'm really in a stew. No time to say goodbye. Hello, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. My. What a peculiar place to have a party. You know, Dinah, we really shouldn't <coughs> be doing this. After all, we haven't been invited, and curiosity often leads to trouble. <coughs> Falling downstairs. Oh. oh! Goodness. What if I should fall right through the center of the earth and come out the other side where people walk upside down? Oh, but that's silly. Nobody. So how far down the rabbit hole are you? That's the question that I want to think about today. Because for the longest time, this has been one of the greatest metaphors that exists for being all in, for being fully committed, being all the way down the rabbit hole. This is an old story, of course. Alice in Wonderland was written in the 19th century. It was a novel. And this movie, which, you know, it's pretty old now, it's from 1951. And we've all been familiar with this, going down the rabbit hole of extending further and deeper than we even thought possible. In fact, I think for us, the life that we've always wanted, the life that we've been called to is found only at the bottom of the rabbit hole. Now, this whole summer, we've been studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is a very famous part of Scripture. In fact, today alone, we're going to cover an eye for an eye, uh, go the extra mile, turn the other cheek. I mean, this is really famous teaching of Jesus. But I think we'll find 
that it extends much further than at first we might realize. So if you would, turn in a Bible to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You can use an app on your phone if you want. We also have Bibles scattered throughout the room. If you don't have the Bible app on your phone, we'd love to show you where to find it. If you don't have a paper Bible, we would love to get one in your hands. Just let us know. This Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. The New Testament starts with four books that we call Gospels, but they're actually simply, all four books are the story of Jesus, and they all are written by different people. This one is written by one of Jesus' disciples named Matthew. Matthew was also called Levi, and actually knowing his name, Levi already tells you a lot about him because there's probably no more Jewish name than Levi, right? So Matthew was a Jewish follower of Jesus who wanted the Jewish people to understand that Jesus is a Jewish Messiah who's come to finish the work of the Old Testament, to see it through to completion. And that's very important because you'll see that perspective throughout much of what Matthew writes, including today. In fact, the way that the Sermon on the Mount begins, Matthew is very clear to to state it. It says right at the beginning of chapter 5 that Jesus went up on the mountain and sat down and began to teach. So who else went up on the mountain to hear from God and bring his truth back to the people? Moses. This is Exodus 19, right? So Matthew is saying, do you remember how Moses went up the mountain? And that's when we heard from God. Well, now Jesus is on the mountain, and he's continuing that work. In fact, Jesus was very aware of this kind of tension that was happening. So he said in Matthew 5, verse 17, just before we're going to study today, in verse 17, he said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The the audience was in a very unique perspective. Jesus was going to teach to them using the law that they already knew. So we kind of share this perspective with them today because we've already heard eye for an eye. We've already heard turn the other cheek. We've already heard go the extra mile. We already know this, and they did too. So Jesus is going to be explaining to them, listen, you you know the law. The law takes you this far, but I'm going to tell you it needs to extend much, much further further. You need to be way further down the rabbit hole. This is how Jesus is explaining the law. And he's using a very specific formula. He decided to six times say, you have heard it was said, but I say. And Jesus doesn't, he doesn't, you know, dispute it. He extends it. So we've already covered these topics. He did it. He talked about murder. You know, you've heard it say not to murder. I say if you have anger in your heart. You know, I've heard it say not to have adultery, but if you have lust in your heart. Divorce, telling the truth, and so on and so forth. Until today, we arrive at two more of these statements. The fifth and the sixth of this chapter. Finishing one thought. So if some of those other topics you think, oh, I wish I would have heard that that talk. They're all available on our podcast or on our website because we're just slowly working our way through Matthew 5 throughout this part of the summer. So today we're going to start in verse 38. We're going to unpack 10 verses, really focusing a lot on the first five. But let's read all 10 together so we can hear it as one complete thought. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. 
You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So there you have it. Jesus starts with this big statement, verse 38. You have heard it said, eye for an eye. We've all known this, right? But the way that you will usually hear people talk about eye for an eye is they use it as justification and, you know, license for retribution. They say, wow, you took my eye. I have the right to take your eye. I am allowed to do this. And people often employ this as the reason why they can retaliate. And this was just as common in Jesus' day. People had taken this law, and the scholars tell us there was a lot of lawsuits happening. People were suing each other because of this justifiable revenge. To say, well, because of an eye for an eye, I have a right to take from you what you took from me. But when you study the origins of this law, that's not exactly what the law was about. It certainly is about justice, and it is about punishment, but it's not about revenge. It's actually about fairness, and here's how. If you look at the instances in the Old Testament in Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, Deuteronomy 19, all of these were not about revenge. They were about suitable and appropriate punishments. Okay? All the ancient cultures in the world had law codes. The, you know, the Jewish people were no exception. But some of the other law codes were not as just. You, know, you had Akkadian law, you had Sumerian law, later you had Sharia law. Many of those laws they were much, much more strict and harsh. You know, this is the sort of, if a thief steals bread, cut off his hand type of justice. The Old Testament eye for an eye was saying, that goes too far. The punishment needs to fit the crime. Okay, other cultures went a different way. They would say the punishment needs to be, you know, a superlative to really deter any future crime. That's not what this said. This was about fairness. It was really about equality. Interestingly, this is just not really what we're talking about, but I think it's cool. The Jewish law, an eye for an eye, even extends to people of a lower class than you and to animals. This was unique to the Jewish people. So if you were a property owner and you gouged out the eye of a slave, that slave still deserved justice. In other cultures, that was not the case. In other cultures, you could treat a slave any way you wanted. In fact, if you read Leviticus, some of the laws regarding people who were slaves, if you injured them in that way, they would actually be granted their freedom. And they would actually move up to be like you now. And if you injured someone's animal, you would owe them you know, payment for that animal that you had injured. That's also unique. So you see, there's value to all of life in eye for an eye. So it was a lot more just and a lot more community-oriented than simply license for punishment. So Jesus starts to unpack it. He says in verse 39, eye for an eye, let's take it further. He says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. You've heard this, turn the other cheek. Now, the language that we had, eye for an eye, and then following in the Greek here, this word for resist is actually a legal term. We're talking about laws and courts now. He's really saying, don't resist legally a person 
who slaps you on the cheek. Now, getting slapped in the face is not a fun thing. It's never really happened to me that I can remember. I don't remember ever earning that privilege from anyone. But if you think about it, a slap in the face isn't really assault. It's not usually someone trying to physically break your bones. It's usually one of the highest levels of personal insult. That's why it says to be slapped on the right cheeks. You're talking about a right-handed person giving you a backhanded smack. It's harsh and it's mean, but I have yet to see it in an obituary. You know, how did Joe die? Well, he was slapped across the face. No, it's a, it's a really brutal insult, and we know that. So in Jesus' day, they had a right to take a person to court for having slapped them, just like you would now, and that person would likely be fined. They wouldn't be put in prison, but they would be fined, and there were some types of civil actions similar to what we have today that you might actually even get some of that money. So you could sue someone for slapping you in the face, just like you could today. So Jesus says, I know you have a right to sue them because they slapped you, but instead, allow them the opportunity to insult you again. He goes so much further. He says, don't worry about what you have the right to do. Instead, see how you might be able to invest yourself further and deeper into reconciliation. It's actually better to be insulted, slapped twice than it would be to take them to court and win. And this is going so much deeper than eye for an eye. Jesus says, you have the right, but take it further. Show them how you would value reconciliation over that type of justice. Totally different. Verse 40, he says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Culturally, we're a little bit further from this one, so we have to kind of put ourselves into their shoes first. I don't know about you, but when all my laundry is clean, sometimes I can't fit it all in the drawer. Or the closet like needs to be cleaned out every couple of years because there's just too much stuff in there. And like, I'm tired of these clothes, I need some different clothes, or I'm a different size one way or the other, I need different clothes, whatever, right? This was not as common in the ancient world. There were many people in Jesus' day who had one set of clothes. That's all they had. Now, this isn't to make you feel shame. It's not about that. It's just it was different then. So they had one set of clothes. So your, your cloak or your top coat, it was like kind of a cross between a tunic and a trench coat. That was an important possession that you had because that was your only protection against weather, whether it's bright sun or cold and rain. And it was also usually your bedding at night that you would sleep under. That was your kind of your quilt, your comforter. In fact, this is an aside, but if you think of the Old Testament, you think of the story of Ruth and Boaz, there's this confusing thing where it says that Ruth went to Boaz at night and put the corner of his cloak over her. And you're like, well, that's weird. What, how does that even work? Well, it actually means she was kind of like climbing into his bed, right? Bed clothes. So because this cloak was so important, it was your protection, it was your bedding, by law, a person was not allowed to take it from you. If you study the Old Testament law, you'll actually see that if someone gave you their cloak as a pledge, you had to return it by nightfall. You weren't allowed to keep it because that was really something that they needed for protection and for life. So when Jesus says, if someone wants to see you for a shirt, throw in your coat, he's not talking about like a buy one, get one free. He's talking about really leaving yourself exposed. I mean, you would be literally now in your underwear. That's all you have. So it's almost comical. Jesus is like, 
If they want your shirt, take your coat too. I'm going, what? But I don't have to do that. It is my right to hold this coat. I don't have to give it up. And Jesus is saying, it's not about your rights. It's not about what you deserve. It's actually about doing whatever you can. Go further. Even if you have to give up basic possession, this is an opportunity to show love and to seek reconciliation. Now, we're very wired this way to this day about rights and privileges, what we have. We talk a lot about citizenship, right? Who deserves citizenship? How they should come across citizenship? I mean, this is a really hot topic right now. We've not strayed from this at all as a culture. I was reminded of this. I told many of you, in June, I was in Africa with World Vision, one of the charities that our church supports, seeing some of the work that we've been sponsoring there. And it was, it was really an amazing experience. And some of the countries that we went to, Malawi in particular, I'd never been to a country like that. And the, the people there were super warm and super kind and gracious, but it was poverty, like really, I, like I had never seen. And so World Vision had to train us a little bit on how we conduct ourselves in a country like that. One of the things they told us was, obviously, when you travel, you have to have your U.S. passport. Your U.S. passport is one of the most powerful documents in the world. It gets you into and out of tons and tons of countries, you know, more than almost any other passport. And so, by the way, if there's a country that doesn't want you to come in with your U.S. passport, you probably don't want to go there anyway, all right? (laughs) So they're saying, listen, your passport, that's your right to travel. And even more importantly, it's your right to get home. Without it, your trip, not only will your trip be ruined, your year might be ruined. Because whoever has your passport, whatever happens next, you could be, you know, you could be at fault. So they told us your passport, you have to have it on you at all times. It has to be in your pocket. It should be in a special pocket. If you don't have a special pocket, you should buy a special pouch and you should wear it around your neck. And if you need to, you should wear two shirts so that your passport can be between your two shirts. Like This is a big, big deal. I never thought about this, but the, the rights and privileges of being a U.S. passport holder, and I know many of you are from other countries and it would be the same for you, the rights and privileges that you have as a passport holder of your country is significant. And we're wired that way. You know, I don't know what I would do if I felt like Jesus was saying, see this beggar on the street, hand him your U.S. passport. You're like, wow. But that's the kind of others' focusedness that Jesus is starting to talk about. Verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This is also a cultural illustration. In those days, to make a long story short, the army had the right to pull you into service spontaneously on the spot to help them with projects or equipment. They had the right to do this. And you, as an occupied citizen, you had to help them. The best example you might be familiar with, when Jesus was being crucified, he was having trouble carrying his own cross. They pulled Simon the Cyrene out of the crowd to carry it for him. We love to talk about Simon and his good heart and how he did this service for the Lord. We have no idea what's in his heart. That could all still be true. But he actually had to do it. A soldier pulled him out of the crowd and told him to do it. So he had to. But it had limitations. You weren't simply subjected to being their slave for life. In fact, one of the ones in particular was they could force you to carry their equipment, their gear. Now, depending on the type of soldier and the sources that you prefer, they could be carrying anywhere between 30 and 150 pounds of gear. So as you would expect, they would love to have someone else carry it for them. And you were required to carry it, by law, one mile. 
Literally, it was a thousand paces, which is their word million, which we took for mile. And our mile is about 400 feet longer than a thousand paces. So it's basically same word, same concept. You had to carry their equipment for one mile. In fact, tradition tells us that Jewish boys would mark from their home the distance of one mile and memorize it. So when they reached that point, they could drop the equipment and say, my mile is done. And they could go on their way. So imagine what Jesus is saying here. You know these soldiers who occupy our country, who force you to help them, I want you to help them twice as much as they ask. This is, this is out there kind of stuff. He's saying it goes so much further than we might think that it does. Now why would he ever say that? Part of it is an overall concept of generosity. I also wonder... You know, when you reach the end of your mile and you drop the soldier's equipment, he doesn't pick it up. He picks the next person, right? So if you take the extra mile, you're actually taking someone else's mile. You're actually taking the punishment that they deserve on yourself so that they don't have to experience that punishment for themselves. That will preach. Taking on someone else's punishment so they don't have to. This is the kind of generosity that Jesus was demonstrating. We need to see this voluntary cooperation far beyond what's required. What else? Oh, verse 42, give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is a hard one. See, I don't know about you. This is how I prefer to help people. Somebody comes and they say, listen, I need help. I say, how did you get yourself into this mess? Listen, if you would have been more like me, this would have never happened to you, first of all, Okay. Now, you feel like if I gave you X amount, it would help you out. I'm going to give you half of what you asked for because that will teach you to be resourceful and figure it out. And while I help you, I'm going to be sure to give you a lecture along the way. This is what comes normal to me. Jesus is saying, hey, if someone asks you for help, help them. Like, Ooh. But what if they don't deserve my help? What if they're going to misuse the help that I give them? What if I loan to them and they don't pay me back? What if, what if, what if? It's all unaddressed. Now, does that mean you shouldn't be wise about who you help? Of course not. That, is a, you know, that principle is found throughout Scripture. But Jesus is talking about it in the same context. He says, people need help, help them. It's just, it's so much deeper than we understood. Verse 43, he decides to reset, and he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Let's pause there for a second. Up until now, every time Jesus said, you've heard it said, he was citing the Old Testament. You've heard it was said in the Old Testament law, but I say, here he changes a little bit because Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor in the Old Testament, check, and hate your enemy, not in the Old Testament, nowhere to be found. So what's happening here is people have taken some popular knowledge of the day, and they've really elevated it to the level of Scripture. They're sort of writing verses that aren't really found in the Bible. That's like, there's one verse, neither a borrower nor a lender be. Do you know where that verse is found? Yeah, it's in Hamlet, okay? It's not in the Bible. You know, where does it say, God helps those who help themselves? Yeah, that's Benjamin Franklin, not in the Bible. He's sourcing a Roman poet like most of our founding fathers. The Lord works in mysterious ways. That's a poem from the 1900s. It's like these aren't real verses. And so sometimes we take these axioms and we feel like, well, you know, thus saith the Lord. Well, no, not really. 
It might have been Hamlet. So they were doing the similar thing. They had taken this hate your enemies. You've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? We don't have a lot of time for archaeology, but to make a long story short, there was a community in a place called Qumran, and they, as it turns out, were really good at preserving documents. So they had a lot of scrolls of scripture put away, and we found them hundreds of years later in the 1960s. Huge sections of the Old Testament, almost every book. It was really changed the face of archaeology and studying the Bible. Well, the Bible... The scriptures weren't the only documents they preserved. They also had all of their normal documents, their own laws. And they, they had a document called the Rule of the Community, which said this, and I quote, you should have an eternal but concealed hatred for the men of the pit. Hate your enemies. It was in one of their organizing documents. Jesus says, wait a minute. If you just love your neighbor and hate your enemy, if you're just going to love the lovable. You're just going to love people who are a resource to you. You're going to love people who are good to you. That's actually just selfishness, right? You like me, so I like you back. Who is that really about? It's not about them. Jesus like, everyone does that. What, you're going to greet your own people? Everyone does that. That's nothing. That's not going anywhere. I want you to go further. I want you to show love to your enemy far beyond what we could possibly understand. It's fascinating. He says so much deeper. Then verse 48, he sums it up very simply. He says, all right, here's how, I, here's how I'm going to say it. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thank you. I'll just do that. Just be perfect, all right? So when Robert comes back, you say, what did Chris teach us? He said to be perfect, and now we are. Be perfect. How is anyone going to do this? Luckily for us, this type of perfection isn't flawlessness. That's one use of the word perfection. It's actually completion. He's saying be complete, be whole. He's, talking, he's still talking about going further. In fact, I love another translation of this verse from a translation called The Message. Matthew 5, 48 says, In a word, what I'm saying is, two words, grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives towards you. And right there, he, he just grounds all of it. Because we've been seeing throughout this whole section, why am I going to be so good to people who don't deserve it? Why would I be so good to someone who slapped me in the face, who's suing me in court, who's my enemy? Why would I show them this kind of love? Because that is the love that God has shown to us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, it says in Romans. So it's not that we became lovely and then Jesus loved us. He loved us while we were still enemies of God. Jesus came. He was given for us. He, not only did he turn the other cheek, he allowed himself to be beaten and bruised. He allowed himself to be crucified. He took on the punishment that we deserve so that we don't have to. That's not a grace that we've ever earned. It's not a grace that's ours. It's not one that has any rights of ours. Instead, Jesus yielded his right. He did not deserve any punishment, any pain. Instead, he was given for us so that we could have newness of life in him. And in that, we find all that we need to start to show grace to others around us who don't deserve it. Because as the grace and love has been given to us, then we take that same grace and love and we give it to others. But to do that, 
we have to be all in. The life that you've always wanted is found at the bottom of the rabbit hole. And I think so often we get stuck in the middle. Whether it's getting stuck on our rights, whether it's getting stuck on who deserves what. Instead, Jesus says, move beyond all that. Move all in. And, and there are some very practical ways you can do this. I don't know about you, but whenever we talk about this for kind of very specific interactions, I'm reminded of people in my life that I did not do this with. I'm reminded of people, you know, I remember when that person insulted me. I certainly didn't give them another opportunity to insult me. I insulted them back. I didn't turn the other cheek. I smacked them back. You know? Or I think, wow, you know, somebody asked me for help, and I really didn't give them help. Instead, I gave them a lecture. Or someone you know, who feels like an enemy of mine, I go out of my way to avoid them or to, you know, to slander them. I don't show them love. You might think of those same people in your life. They might live in your house. They might be at your job. They might be on your street. There are these people in life that we've had opportunity to show this gospel and grace to that we haven't, where we missed it. So I've been thinking a lot about this week and how I can you know, start to do better in that, how God can lead me in that. And I think also in the same way for some of you, you're not even sure yet that you want to buy into this teaching from Jesus. Thinking Jesus seemed like a good teacher, but now that I hear what it really means, it's like a little too far, it's a little too much. And you have to consider whether you're even all in at all. Have you considered your position where you are with the person of Christ? Have you considered whether or not you're all in? If you haven't, today would be the day to really sit down and have a focused time of thought and prayer about where you are with God. So I want to take a moment here as a community and just pray and ask God to to speak to us in work, and then, then we're going to move into something else. God, we love you, and we thank you for the truth of your scripture When we're confronted by what you've really called us to do, it is intimidating. But thank you that we don't do it in our own strength. Thank you that it's in the grace of Christ that we find the grace to love others. So fill us with your grace. Fill us with your love. Allow that grace and love to move out from us and change the world that surrounds us. God, it's our our spoken desire to grow in these things, to become more like Christ. So lead us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.